We're really glad you're here today. We know, especially on a day like today, you might be fooled. Like it might be summer out there and you want to go have a picnic. You chose to come today to meet with God's people, and I am so convinced that that is something that will encourage your hearts. Because we have an opportunity to, to worship. And worship is singing, and worship is praying, and worship is giving, and worship is opening up God's Word. We're just really glad that we can meet together and just kind of open it up. And listen, and see what God has to say to you and to me and to us. And I think your hearts will be encouraged. Peter, who's at the near end of his life, writes to a group of God's chosen people. Peter identifies them as exiles, as temporary residents, as foreigners, as sojourners. People trying to journey well between two worlds. Their present culture and eternity. Life is hard, though, for these early Christ followers, and it's only going to get worse. Peter begins his letter by focusing on our great salvation, a topic that sometimes, if you've been walking with God for a while, we take for granted. But that word salvation is, well, it's robust, it's big, it's huge. It's an opportunity for each one of us to be able to focus on all that God did for lost people. You see, every one of us, we're lost at one time. And you may still be far from God even today. But for those people who have understood that Jesus came to prove God's love for us, to stretch his arms out so that he would spill his blood and pay our debt for sin. So that each one of us might be able to come into a relationship where we might be redeemed. That we might have a restoration process. You see, this salvation is so robust that it has three facets. I've asked you over the last few weeks to try to learn these three phrases. And again, I, I don't ever want to make a walk with God complicated. But I think if you can understand justification and sanctification and glorification, that your mind will continually be blown on all that God has done and how much he loves you and how much he desires for you to be able to walk with God in a full and a rich way. Last week, if you were here, he encouraged the exiles to be holy, just as their father. Holy. As we understand what that means, well, it turns some of you off and it turns some of you on. But really, holy is just having a group of clean vessels to be used by God. He's preparing our minds and exercising self-control in order for each one of us to be on mission. You see, our God is faithful. Here in the States, God's Word is readily available. You can read it from the Bible. And some of you not only have one Bible at home, you probably have five or six or ten. You, many of you have smartphones or computers, and, and you can look up any verse in any version at any time. 
And so it's there. We have radio. We have internet. We can listen to a message from God's Word from some of the greatest preachers all over. God's Word is available. If we receive the truth, our lives change. Period. Let's picture Peter today as a coach. He's going to share some truths from the Word. If we embrace the truths, our church and our world will be different. I've asked Titus to read the Scripture for us today. It's in 1 Peter. If you turn your Bible there to chapter 1, he'll start at verse 22. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scripture says, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Let's pray. Father, we're going to sit at your feet today, and we would ask that you would just encourage us, that you would convict us, that you would strengthen us, that your word would not just be some verses, that they wouldn't just be uh, some stories, some reminders, but Lord, it would be actual words that would change our lives, that you would transform us, that you would chip away the things that don't represent you well that we would leave here energized because we've heard from you. We've worshiped you today. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Today, Peter, as the coach, gives us two truths, then two actions. So first of all, we're going to look at the truths. If you would, keep your Bibles in 1 Peter chapter 1 or your flat screens, because literally, um, Peter's a fisherman. And although this was all ordained by God, and God gave us his word in particular, uh, Peter writes like a fisherman sometimes. And in this case, he's going to kind of go back and forth in different ideas, and uh, I, I think you'll get it, but it'll be important that you keep your Bibles open because we're not going to go straight down these verses. The first truth that you need to understand, that I need to understand, is that you have been born again. Literally, you have been born anew. You were cleansed, or we use the word justified, when you obeyed. This is the past aspect of salvation. This is, Peter is just reminding, remember, he is a man who has been overwhelmed by God's grace. He knew he was drowning, and when Jesus came on the scene, he jumped into the pool. Hook, line, and sinker. And so if you read all the way through this this letter, he's going to be talking about his amazing salvation. 
Well, he goes right back to the first part. And, and he just says, God, I am so grateful that you justified me. I am so grateful that you, God, allowed, or that you, God, died on the cross in order that my debt might be paid. He's talking about a salvation that will continue to give him power and strength. Obedience in the New Testament is often a symbol for faith. So when you read in the Newer Testaments and and when God talks about obedience, you almost could put faith right in there every time. The second truth he wants you to focus on is that you have life forever. Everyone who has been justified, everyone who has come to faith, as soon as they shut their eyes here on this earth, they are immediately transported into the presence of God. So Peter starts off and says, hey, I want you to remember two things. First of all, Jesus paid your debt, and someday, forever and ever and ever, for all of eternity, you're going to spend time with me. God's word is the guarantee. It is going to happen. You can count on it. Well, after these two very basic truths that really Peter's been talking about this whole first chapter, he jumps into two actions. So in light of these life-transforming truths, Peter is literally saying, I'd like you to focus on two things. I want you to do two things. So many of us love the practical part of God's word. We just want to be able to leave and say, you know what, what am I supposed to do? Well, God graciously sets us up to do well in life. He does. And what he wants to do, at least in this case, he says, hey, here are two very important things. Because you've been redeemed, because you have an eternity, what I want to focus a little bit really is sanctification or how you're supposed to live. This is where you're at. And so I want you to do two things. The first thing I want you to do is love. I want you to love. In the scriptures, if you look uh, at verse 22, he says, Now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. Peter starts off and says this, show love to each other like a family. He uses the word phileo here. Some of you understand that term. And there's two basic terms in Greek for love. One is phileo and one is agape. Actually, the first use of love in this text is phileo. The second use is agape. And sometimes, at least preachers have a tendency to be able to take these two words and and try to make a huge difference. To be quite honest, I personally am not so convinced that these two words mean a whole lot of different things. I think really what God is using is a little bit in the context here. And he's really saying this, what I want you to do exiles, you foreigners, those who are hurting, those who are discouraged, I want you to show love to each other like family members show love to each other. Now, some of you have grown up in some tremendous families, and and you enjoy being together. Some of you have some really bad, well, 
memories of families. And, and I'm sorry about that because that's really not how God intended families to be. Families are a wonderful thing. It's a mom and dad that love each other. They're not perfect, but they love each other and they represent God to their kids. And they're able to teach their kids and disciple their kids. And it means that they encourage them to not only walk with God, but model for them what it looks like to be a God follower. Well, in this case, Peter really is just saying this. It's okay to show love to other believers. I want you to treat them like family. I want you to care for them like family. And then it does seem like he raises up the ratchet here a little bit. He says, I'm asking you to love or to agape others deeply with all of your heart. He's putting some qualifiers on there. He's saying, first of all, because you have been born again and Jesus Christ paid your debt, and because you have an amazing eternity, what I want you to do is love others who are around you. I want you to love them like family members. I want you to go to bat for them. You know, my brother and I fought a lot when we grew up. (laughs) Imagine that. All right. My brother was always shorter than I was, and he was always plumper than I was. That was until he turned 16 years old. At 16 years old, he grew taller than I am and stronger than I am. And oh my word, everything changed. But I can tell you this, up to 16, I was his big brother And he was family. So if anybody messed with Dave, Rick was there. Really was. In spite of us fighting, in spite of us disagreeing, as soon as it came to family, I can mess with my brother, but don't you mess with my brother. You know that kind of rule? The truth is, once it hit 16, he was taking care of me. All right? The roles reversed. But it still was the same thing. You know what? We'll fight tooth and nail. But if you mess with Rick, that means you mess with me. And I think, again, that's the, the, the family kind of, you look out for your family. You care for your family. You're, even when you're hurting. But Peter says, I want to ask you to do something even bigger. I'm going to raise it up. I want you to love others with all of your heart and with all of your mind, with everything that you've got. You know, Paul reminds us the same thing. This is not a new truth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, Paul writes this, But we don't need to write you, the folks at Thessalonica, about the importance of loving each other. For God himself taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. They were loving. My guess is everyone sitting in these chairs are loving people at times. All right? 
But what Peter is saying, hey, in light of all that you've received, I want you to see people differently, that's all. I want you to love them, well, way beyond anything you think you can do. I want you to serve them. I want you to encourage them. I want you to love them even more than you think you're capable of loving them. I want you to be more focused on them than on yourself. I want you to meet their needs more than your needs. I want you to focus on others better. That's really what Peter is saying. Now, what does that actually look like? Well, he gives us a little bit of a laundry list, and he's going to share with us a little bit on how we're supposed to love people like this. Because every one of us sitting here, you know, it's really easy to love those people that love us, right? And are kind to us. But I don't think actually Peter's talking about those. You know, it's, it's really nice to be graced by others. And you can smile and return the favor. Or use terms like, I owe you one. Maybe. But Peter is again saying, I want you to love others on a different level, just a little bit differently. And loving others deeply means getting rid of some evil behaviors. If you look at chapter 2, verse 1. So get rid of all evil behavior. It's interesting. It says, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Literally, if we got rid of some of that, none of us would be able to even talk, you know? But Peter says this. He says, I want you to get rid of evil behavior. This is in the middle tense, and the middle tense just simply means this. This is not all up to you. This is a partnership. You're not going to get rid of evil. I'm not going to stop slandering people because I'm going to try really hard. Because my guess is you're not going to stop slandering people if you try really hard. But if you are a new creation, if God lives in you, you, along with God, as we begin to purpose in our heart, does something that's amazing and gives you power and Authority like you have never had before. To love others when it's really hard to love or when it seems impossible to love. He says literally, if you want to just take it, he says take off your dirty clothing. He says you have dirty clothes. Evil behavior is what we would call dirty clothes. So you believers, what I want you to do, just take off your dirty clothes. Now, every one of you know what that means. I mean, some of you work in the trades a little bit more and you come home a little bit more grimy. I get that. And you need to get your clothes off and maybe you have a house rule that you have to strip down in some particular room because your clothes are so gross and they have to go right into the washing machine. I get that. But that still feels to me like, okay, well, I've been doing some concrete and I got some concrete on me. Or I'm in a mechanic and I got some grease on me. And, and you can still hang out with that person. The clothing isn't so disgusting. 
But we've been kind of talking about God's standards versus our standards, right? And sin is just so appalling to God. When he says take off this clothing, literally, he's saying the clothing you have on is not just dirty, it's obnoxious. It's the grossest thing in the world. It reminds me of a story. Back when I was overseeing the maintenance at Silverbird Ranch, the place where our kids are, part of my summer responsibilities was to oversee all the, the maintenance, the camp, the, the scenarios. Well, part of that is overseeing septic systems. I'm a Chicago kid. All right, I got to learn all this septic thing. I don't septic. I don't know what a septic is, and but I learned. I learned all that was going on, and and there was some cabin reconstruction, and some of the cabins that were lowered down by the beach have different codes now and different standards, and you couldn't just have a septic by the lake. I'm sure you guys all know this now. Okay, septics are like. That's where sewage goes, in case you guys are really like, okay. Sewage in a lake is a bad thing. Are we following? Okay. So what you do is that you have this holding tank. (laughs) Don't want to get too gross, but holding tank of all these sewage. And it pumps it way up into a place where it's not even close to the lake. All right. Well, one time... um, I had one of our camp people come to a panic to me. He says, Rick, there's raw sewage going into the lake. Raw sewage in the lake. So we go down to Swinging Bee. Literally, that's the cabin that our guys are staying in right now, up at Silver Birch. Okay? So you can ask them if their toilets worked when you, when you get home. All right? But what literally happened is that this cabin, for some reason, the lifter pump didn't work. And to make a long story short, the sewage was coming out of the holding tank and leaking down toward the lake. We could literally get closed down. It it, it was a very bad situation. So I got all the powers to be, and I said, what should we do? And my vote was, let's go get someone to suck the tank, and then we'll go down and fix it. No, 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 no. We're going to get closed down. This has to happen right now. I go, dude. The only way that happens is somebody crawls down in this tank, takes that fitting apart, drags the thing up, puts a new one in, and goes, does that again. He said, yeah. I'm in charge. Who am I going to ask to do this? Hey, by the way, uh, can you climb down some raw sewage for me? Didn't work. So there I go, okay, I'll go down. You climbed out. Now, folks, I, honestly, I don't even know what to tell you. All I can tell you is this. It was absolutely the grossest, most disgusting thing anybody can even think of. And I climbed down to about chest deep. All right? And was able to do tools under the sewage, take the form out, pick that baby up, put the new one in, bring that down. Meanwhile, the sewage, again, like, don't flush the toilet, guys. Okay? Let's stop this. This is not good. Would you quit it? Quit it. You know, those things gurgle up and then, you know, going down this thing. Bottom line is this. It was done. 
successful. I still think they should have gone my route. (laughs) Suck the thing first and do it. All right. I climbed out. I cannot even begin to tell you what I felt like, (laughs) what I looked like. Sharon did not kiss me that day, (laughs) letting you know. I ran down. There's a ski beach right there where that sewage was going. I dove in the lake. Are you going, wait a minute, Rick, you just told... Hey, folks, I was not thinking right. Okay? I Condemn me. I do not know what to tell you. Dove in that lake. Got as much of whatever I could get out. Actually stripped down in the lake. They gave me a towel. Don't worry. We got out, did this whole Clorox treatment, did the whole whatever you want to call it, and camp just functioned beautifully from then on. But this is a picture of what God talks about dirty clothes. There's not one of you that after you went into a septic tank would walk into your house and say, Hi, honey. Let's have supper. Oh, my word. It just doesn't work. But that's what God is saying. Do you get a little better picture of maybe what sin is? Sin is not the dirty clothes that you got Mix and mortar. Sin is the dirty clothes that you had sitting in the septic tank. And God says, take those things off. Now, this is a perfect illustration all the way through the New Testament. They're talking, the authors are talking about taking this dirty clothes off in this sanctification process. If you look in Romans chapter 13, verse 12. Paul writes this. In fact, Paul writes these next three texts. He says, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. You put that into context, say, of course I'm going to put off that stuff. No doubt. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. Throw off or take off the clothes, the dirty clothes, your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted, whoa, really corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. As you walk with God, you're allowing the Spirit to clean you and to cleanse you and to empower you and to give you authority in life. And he goes on, put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Does that picture help you? Put on what's righteous, what's holy. In Colossians 3, verses 8 through 10. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on, take off, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know Creator and become like him. So loving others deeply simply means taking off deceit, which Peter said. Now the word deceit is very interesting. It literally means bait or fish hook. So what Peter is saying is quit deceiving people. Quit saying one thing and really wanting to mean another thing. That's dirty clothes. 
He says, quit being a hypocrite. Take off hypocrisy. The word, again, literally was an actor wearing a mask. I want you to be authentic with others. That's what I would like. I would like you to be real with others. Don't put on a false front. He says, take off jealousy. Literally, resenting other people's um, prosperity or success. It's a little hard sometimes, I think, to rejoice when someone else is being successful. He says, no, I take that off. I want you to do it. And he goes, literally, take off unkind speech, wholesome or slander. I'll tell you, the book of James goes into the tongue very deeply. But I'm going to read you a passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Paul says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now I just want to stop there. Unwholesome talk. Unwholesome talk means anything that is not wholesome. Isn't the Bible cool? Really. It's not even rocket science here. Things, in fact, Paul goes on. Unwholesome talk, but talk or say only things that are helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, when you talk, would it encourage others, would it benefit others all the time? Oh, baby, that means i got to change a whole lot of talk. It might. It really might. But how do we love others deeply? This is great, Rick. I can see us taking off the clothes. I can see we need to talk differently, that we want to treat others with integrity. We want to be real. But how do we do that? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the author, I think, gives us uh, encouragement. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Especially the sin that easily trips us up. All the author is saying is that there are some things that will slow us down in our marathon of life. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here's the key. Verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We focus on Jesus. Jesus was kind. Jesus was compassionate. Jesus was forgiving. We go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness. It's kind of the same thing. It's the dirty clothes. Take off bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ. God forgave you. We fix our eyes on Jesus because Jesus is the one that tells us and shows us and models for us how to live. We talk to others like Jesus did. We, our hearts are broken for the lost. It's called compassion. Like Jesus' heart was broken for the lost. We fix our eyes on Jesus. You see, all these sins aim at harming others, where love seeks the good of others. Now the second action 
crave God's word, or literally in chapter 2, verse 2, keep craving God's word. Let me read it. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. What Peter is saying is this, like newborns crave milk, you crave God's word. Now let me just say this, because some of us get a little offended. Um, Peter is not really calling you or me or all those exiles babies. He is not. He's using an illustration that every one of you know, and some more than others. He is not saying they're babies. He's saying cry out for God's word eagerly and frequently. Now seriously, little little Jackson just took off here, and some of you know Julie just had little Jackson and, and so on, but I am really sure that Jackson is probably not cooperating in every area. All right? When little, when little Jackson actually is hungry, I bet he lets mom know. And he does not shut up until mom responds. Now, it's really bad when you're 13 or 14 and you're, you know, like a little bit crabby in this way and you keep screaming and putting on tantrums until parents respond, you know. But when you're a newborn, honestly, when you are hungry, you are focused and you are relentless, Because your life depends on it. This is the word that Peter is using. He's saying, I want you to crave God's word. This is intense. This is reoccurring. This is insatiable desire or passion. I want you to crave God's word because it is life. Without it, you will die. That's the craving Peter's saying. He says, first of all, I want you to love people, and I want you to crave God's word. Now, I don't want to blow anyone's mind here, but it is notable what Peter did not command. Sometimes we look at things like what we're supposed to do, but this list does not include some of these things. He did not charge believers to read the word to study the Word, to meditate on the Word, to teach the Word, to preach the Word, to search the Word, or memorize the Word. Now, believe me, all these things are essential. And other passages do talk about that. I'm not throwing that out. But Peter focused on the more fundamental element which believers need before they will pursue any of the other things. And that is a deep, Continuous longing for the word of truth. Well, one thing cool about Peter is that he gives us reasons often. And so my question is, why should we crave? Why should we have this unbelievable, frequent desire to get into God's word or to hear God's word? Well, the first reason, I think, is that milk is good for you. God's Word is good for you. God's Word will help you and I grow. Literally, we will be able to experience salvation fully. We will be able to experience all that God has for you and for me. 
Now again, if we're honest, if we are, and we look at life, and, and some of us are not as joyful as, as maybe we want to be. And some of us are not, well, happy with some of the circumstances that God has given us. And some of us, and we can make the list. We can. But you know what's so amazing is that if we understand what God's word is for us, if we know what God's word, what his principles are, all of a sudden, we can address life differently. We can enter into pressure in problems and scenarios and situations we thought we would never have the power or authority to do. But if we know God's word, we understand what God's word has for us, then all of a sudden, we're able to do things and experience things in a way that's different. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus himself said this. He said, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. God's word also is forever. It has no expiration date like people or flowers. So crave God's word because it's going to be part of your life and part of eternity. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6, 7, and 8, it actually repeats what Peter said. Peter oftentimes, remember, he has this Jewish background. He has this understanding of the Old Testament. He brings it often in his letter. And in Isaiah, it says this. A voice said, shout. And I asked, what should I shout? So Isaiah shouted this. Shout that people are like grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as flowers in a field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. Grass withers and flowers fade. But the word of our Lord lasts forever. God's word is also good news. It brings life. It encourages you. I got to be honest. All right. Hopefully I'm honest all the time. But... If I don't hear from God daily, if I don't spend time in God's word daily, not to prepare a message, although there would be good to do that too, but to hear from God, to let him convict me and chip me and give me encouragement for that day, I would not make it. I am telling you, I would not make it. I need God's good news. In Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 20, the wisest man on the planet said this, my child, pay attention to what I say, speaking about God's word. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep in your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to the whole body. You see, his word brings hope and strength and power. His word refines us and redirects us and restores us. I need God's word, and so do you. God's word helps us understand God, especially his goodness. We just got through singing, we have a good, good father. Sometimes it's hard to believe that. If we look around and we see situations or circumstances... But in Psalm 34, the psalmist is just exploding. He's drooling on how wonderful God is. And in chapter 
or, or in verse 8 of that chapter. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Oh, the fulfillment that we have because we hang out with our God. And lastly, God's word satisfies To long for and delight in God's word has always been the mark of the truly saved or the redeemed. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. And I just got to say this. I, I know so many of you understand context. I do. But Jeremiah had maybe one of the hardest jobs in the whole world. God just said this to Jeremiah. He says, I want you to be my prophet. I want you to faithfully tell and preach God's word to everyone you go to. But I also want you to know not one person is going to ever respond. Are you serious, God? (laughs) That is a bummer job. All right? It is. But that's who Jeremiah was. And so where did Jeremiah get his joy from? If, if it's not in response, hey folks, if you're a preacher and nobody responds, it's a bad day. Okay? So he's a preacher, and for his whole life, no one responds. Where, where does he get his joy? How does he get up in the morning? Okay, I'm going to do this all again, and everyone's going to, you know, like, blow me off. Jeremiah 15, 16. When I discovered your words, God, I devoured them. I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight because I bear your name, because you are my God, you are my Father. That's where I go for joy. Boom. Wrap this up today. Peter gave us two truths and two actions. He says, hey, you are born again. Don't ever forget it. May it just enamor you every single day. Your sin's been taken care of. Your debt's been paid. And I want you to know that, hey, this life, whoa, it's short. It's all about eternity. In light of those two things, I want you to love others. And I want you to crave God's word. I don't know what God is talking to you about today. But I bet if we're listening, I think Peter's words would have hit you somewhere. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your grace. I thank you that you died in my place, in our place. I thank you that you give us the power and authority to live differently. That you have left us here on this planet to be salt and light. And that we can love others in a way different way than we do ourselves. Lord, we thank you for your word that is so life-giving. Father, I'm sorry that we take your word so casually at times. We flippantly look through or we... Maybe sometimes focus. God, would you use your word like a hammer? And would it just take away the things in our life that just hurt you and use it to build us up? Lord, teach us to, sin, to treat sin drastically. Would we take off our septic-smelling 
clothing and replace it with clothing that you have provided for us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.